You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Well, I hope that you have your Bible and a notebook uh, tonight. I uh, encourage you to do that on Wednesday night if you have a notebook, a journaling notebook, or a journaling Bible even. Uh, I enjoy when Dr. Littles, uh, James Littles, comes because uh, he always challenges us in a unique way to make application to the Word of God. And at United Prayer a few weeks ago, as I've seen him do in different settings, uh, he asked us what we got out of the Sunday morning message and that's always an a, a intimidating question sometimes, right? You come to service, you experience it, but a lot of times we just kind of leave it and we move on. And uh, God speaks to us in these settings. I believe God speaks to us, not just that we've brought a sermon forth, but I believe God speaks individually to us when we put ourselves in environments to hear the Word of God. And I'm expecting that tonight. We're going to open a very lively book. A book that has the potential to divide asunder the soul and spirit. A book that has the possibility of discerning your thoughts from the intents of your heart. Now that's a powerful, lively book. And so I want you to join me tonight, not just that you're seated in this room, but I I want you to join me and believe that the Spirit of God, the Word of God is going to show up in this place. In February, Kristen started a series on celebrating Jesus in the biblical feast. And the root of this series is in the book of John. Uh, John's unique approach to Jesus' life and ministry is, seems to be structured around seven signs or miracles and seven of the feast and uh, the seven Jewish celebrations. Uh, Since we are not Jews, most of us in here are not Jews. We didn't grow up around the customs. We didn't grow up around the festivals and celebrations. We can easily miss insight into Scripture because we're just not as familiar with it. Specifically, the Scripture points us to Jesus through these feasts, through these celebrations, and It brings clarity to who Jesus Christ is in our life and specifically how we can know him in our life. Have you ever been in a situation maybe during the winter or even in your own bathroom where the mirror fogs up or you've been in a car where the windows fog up and you create a little circle like to see whether you're shaving? Apparently mine was fogged up today. I couldn't see to shave, so we were trying to do our hair, and we got a little spot that we're trying to fix it in. I think a lot of times we, we read Scripture through a lens like that. Scripture's foggy to us, right? It's foggy because we, we're not seeing clearly. And I think as we study Scripture, especially as we study Jewish culture and Jewish customs, it, it kind of wipes away some of the fog, some of the things that ultimately allows us to have a better perspective of Jesus Christ. And as Christ, Kristen mentioned in her uh, first lesson, 
We're not seeking to be Jews through this series. Uh, We're not promoting or even hinting that we should celebrate these feasts as the Jews do, although we certainly respect and honor the way that they celebrate those feasts. But we, we look at these because we understand and we believe that they point to Jesus Christ. And by pointing to Jesus Christ, it points us to a relationship with God. And so what we want to establish through this series is that God has an intentional plan for us as humanity. From the very beginning, God wanted to be in relationship to us. So much so that everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that Jesus was not an afterthought, but was in fact what our scripture calls us, the Bible calls us, the Word of God. But it's not just the, the, the spoken Word of God, it's the intent of God. It's the plan of God came to life. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. And why was Jesus Christ come to earth? Why did he come to earth? So that God would have relationship and reconcile humanity back to himself. So let's study these feasts tonight and let's look at them. We'll find seven feasts that God's chosen people were called to celebrate each year. They're found in Leviticus 23. You can find other references to them throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, but they're very clearly defined in Leviticus 23. So let's look at these seven feasts. They're the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle, or tabernacles, I should say. So these are the seven feasts that, in Leviticus 23, God gives his people, and he wants them to celebrate every year. And these times of gathering and their details are illustrations of who Jesus is and ultimately what he wants to do in our life. And they also represent seven steps that we can make towards God as believers. And I think that's a, a, a great way to look at these as well, how you draw closer to God. I loved what Kristen brought out about these special holy days. One thing that she said is that they're called holy convocations or holy feasts, holy days. But it literally meant dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal. And Kristen and I enjoy the, being a part of weddings, and we've been a part of a few over the last number of years. But it's always helpful to have a wedding rehearsal. Sister Reed, are, are you agreeing with that? It's very helpful to have a wedding rehearsal, to go through where you stand and what you're supposed to do and who's going to say what when and who's going to do what in the ceremony. It's helpful to do that. And this is the idea behind this holy feast. It's pointing to something that is coming. We understand that to be Christ, but we, we realize that these feasts point us to not just Christ, but a life with Christ. And so the first feast that the Jews celebrated, I'm going to quickly recap here, was the Passover. It was the first encounter that the Jewish people had with God as a nation. So remember, they were in Egypt. 
and they are brought out of Egypt, and the Passover was the Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt. It was the first thing, first festival that God instituted, first feast that he instituted. And we knew a few details about that, the blood on the doorpost, and, and uh, we see that as God certainly keeping the bad away. The death angel was not going to touch those who had the blood on their doorpost. But it wasn't just to signify what was staying out, but it was God's invitation to them to be in fellowship with him. And I think that's important. The Passover was God's invitation to them to be in fellowship. And so he protects them and he preserves them and he brings them into presence with him. And uh, he ultimately prepares them to leave Egypt. And this is what the Passover celebrates and what it's all about. And ultimately, what does it point to? It points to Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ died as the Passover lamb. He was killed uh, on the day that they were going to sacrifice that lamb, and he became our Passover lamb, not just to keep death from reigning in our life, but also to invite us to a relationship with him. So we see our uh, relationship with Jesus Christ in this regard. Sorry, Excuse the illustration that's coming in just a few moments. We realize because of the death of Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb, you and I find freedom, right? We find freedom from sin in Egypt, and we find a relationship with him. The second feast that the Jews celebrated, and Kristen talked about this a few weeks ago, was unleavened bread. And when God brought them out of Egypt, they left so quickly they didn't have time to bake bread in the typical way. And so God told them to keep it unleavened. Don't put any leaven. Don't let it rise. And God told them to use unleavened bread. And that's what they would eat as they left. Leaven for the Hebrews was a symbol of bondage and a symbol of connection to Egypt. So he said, I want you to do without that leaven, and I am calling you out of Egypt to be my people. And so it symbolized walking away from their life as slaves and their Egyptian life and culture, and it included not just geographic movement, It included a mindset that we are no longer slaves in Egypt. And Kristen pointed out that Jesus was that bread. Jesus was the bread of life. He became the leaven that symbolized uh, what we would uh, receive from him. We would receive strength from him. Jesus is the bread of life. And when he gave himself for our sins... He removed that sin, that leaven that was there and its influence in our life. And what I just quickly will point out about the the unleavened bread is this was to be done after the Passover, the day of Passover, then is the day of unleavened bread, and for seven days. This was what would begin uh, the, um, the... celebration of unleavened bread. It was seven days. It was not just a one-day feast. And I think that's interesting that this day, this feast would be celebrated, meaning that I think our entire life 
should be dedicated to the Lord. We remove ourselves from Egypt. We live a holy, separate life unto God with no leaven, no, uh, nothing from Egypt in our life. And it's a challenge to us. And because of Jesus' burial, we have a burial of our old life and way of thinking. And we are buried with him. Passages we read, Romans 6, 4, talks about we are buried with him in baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. In Colossians 2, it says we are buried with him in baptism. So baptism is powerful because it is a covenant. Baptism is a covenant where the old is done away with. The old is done away with and the new is brought in. Sins, the Bible said, are remitted or forgiven in baptism. It's taking out the leaven. It's doing away with the sin that would normally have root and resident in your life. And God was showing us through this feast that he wants to remove that leaven. And so we're buried with him. Just as the Passover was his death, The unleavened bread was his burial, and so we are buried with him in baptism. Now let's consider the third feast, the celebration of first fruits. Now this is occurring on only one day each year. The day of uh, the first fruits offering is not designated a holy day by God, but it's far from minor or obscure. Most scholars believe that the first fruit sheath consisted of about, I'll say, an ohm or a half gallon, so to speak, measurement of barley. Uh, It was still on the stock, and it was cut at the beginning of the spring harvest. And since it came from the very beginning of the harvest of the first fruits, uh, or first uh, beginning of the harvest, it was called the first fruits. And so let's look at what Leviticus 23 says about the Feast of First Fruits. Leviticus chapter 23, verse number 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruit of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, and the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by the fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine one-fourth of hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So first, let's ask the question, where did it take place? Where did it take place? Leviticus 23, verse 10 says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you. That's important. That this feast, this celebration was happening after they, had, after they came into the promised land. The feast was to be, to be instituted in a different place than the other two. It was to begin when there was a transition of position and place for the children of Israel. And so they come from Egypt. They come as a people 
to this new place, a place where God had prepared for them. Now, think about this now. They would not have celebrated this. Now, you can read in different passages that God told them this was coming, this celebration was coming, but they would have not celebrated it for 40 years after they came out of the wilderness because they did not enter into the promised land for 40 years, again, on their own accord. But he said, I want you to celebrate this when you enter into this new place. It's going to be a a, a time for you to recognize that things are not the same anymore. And so we see God instituting this when the kingdom of God transitions. We also see that God is giving them something. It's a part of God giving them the land of promise. God giving them a place inherited. And so this gift is pointing them, this celebration is pointing them to a gift. Second, let's consider what they did at this feast. It says in verse 10 that they brought a sheaf, and I'm pretty sure that this is not it. Uh, most likely it was barley, and I'm, I'm, I don't know that this is barley. Not even sure if it's anything. It looks like weeds that have dried out. So, but they, they brought the sheaf to the priest. So how did they do that? Well, they couldn't uproot the earth like we put trees on trucks and root balls. They're cutting it down. They're cutting it, and they're bringing this to the priest. They give it to the priest, and the priest takes it, and then what, he, what is he going to do? He's going to wave the sheaf. He's going to wave it before the Lord to be accepted on their behalf. And so then it says... Uh, in verse 12, that they offer, you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, it's grain offering and goes through the grain and a, a sweet aroma, a drink offering. And so there was additional worship that was brought with this waving of the sheaf. Then in verse 14, it says, you shall not Eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you've brought an offering to God. And so they they were consecrated to bring this to their priest. So I want to highlight another aspect to the feast of first fruits here that I think we should consider. That of their work in harvest, right? This was the first fruit, the beginning of the harvest. But the work of of harvesting, according to God's law for them, the work of harvesting would not begin until the first first fruits offering had occurred. It would, they would not even begin harvesting anything else until this was brought. And first fruit is the idea of beginning, It's the idea of something's beginning, not the end of something. It's pointing to the future. And first fruits was you bringing something that signifies your confidence in your future provision in harvest and in land. It was saying, God, 
I'm going to trust you that my future is going to be okay. And so they brought this and they, they waved it and the priest waved it to signify that there is and we believe a harvest is coming. The harvest belonged to the Lord. They were just simply stewards of the land, and they were bringing to God, saying, God, we're going to trust you with that. So when did this happen? When did the first fruits happen? In Leviticus 23, 11, he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, I don't have time. There's lots of opinions about what this word Sabbath meant. And for sake of time, I won't go into all the options that, that it can mean. We'll, we'll just look at Scripture and let it stand for itself. The word says on the day after Sabbath. But I do think it's important for you to understand that the Jewish day begins at dusk. It does not begin at dawn. Our day begins at dawn. The Jewish day begins at dusk. And where they get that from is the days of creation. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. All right? And so when we're looking at days in the Jewish calendar, we're not looking at them as we have days. We're looking at it from an evening, morning Day. Now, I have a friend who's a police chaplain here in Cincinnati. He's a rabbi here, Jewish rabbi. And starting on, we think of Sabbath, we, we would say Sabbath's on Saturday. But Sabbath doesn't start on Saturday in our calendar. Sabbath starts at Friday at sundown. And so as a police chaplain, he will not take calls from Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown. Because that's a Sabbath. That's what's considered Sabbath. Now, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into all of that and what possibly could mean Sabbath. But I think it's important that when we're reading Scripture, we understand that. Many scholars believe that the first fruit offering was brought at dusk. It was done at dusk. And it was at the very beginning of the day after the Sabbath. So uh, it would be what we would call Sunday begins at Saturday at dusk. Uh, and so for our purpose tonight, I'm glad I just created a lot of confusion for you about a lot of things you learned in Sunday school. But for our purposes tonight, we would just say that it was after the day of rest. It signified that what was dead had come to life. And so that what was at rest had come to life. What was at rest had come to life. All right? So as we have seen through this series, we see when we examine Jesus' life that Jesus fulfilled the feast of firstfruits when he resurrected as the firstfruits from the dead. His resurrection marked the beginning of the harvest of souls and God's reconciliation of humanity. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam all die, even so in Christ we are all made alive, but each one of his own order. Christ the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. We see Christ as the first fruit. So when we consider Christ as the first fruit, we ask the question, where, where was uh, Jesus? How did it impact where the feast of the first fruits began? The feast of the first fruits first took place, remember where? In the promised land. Canaan was a hinge point for the children of Israel. It was a new start for Israel. And when Christ came to earth, he represented the hinge point to God's plan with humanity. And so we see Christ as first fruits, this transition plan of God's work on the earth. And Jesus was the new destiny of the kingdom of God, the Messiah. And the government that was upon his shoulders had come. There was a new land, a new kingdom that was being established. And so when we consider what they did during the first uh, fruits, we see the parallel to Christ. Jesus was the human sheaf and was set apart for the purpose of conquering death and providing eternal life for all those who acknowledge him as their Messiah. And so what do we see? Jesus was carried. He was like the first fruits, cut down. Jesus was carried to the tomb. He was carried, but he then what? He was waved. Like first fruits of the barley that's cut down, then given to the priest. That becomes this symbol of life. It becomes a symbol of as if it's alive. Jesus was waved, and we see Jesus was worshiped. They came to the tomb prepared with things ready to prepare his body, but in symbolism, it was worship. They brought spices and things of those nature. So we see Christ in the first fruits. And then when we consider when did they celebrate first fruits, we see the parallel to Christ. Remember, the first fruits was connected to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was all in the same general week. Today, the Jews celebrate what's called the Passover. The Passover includes the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits. They see it as one celebration. And so we see that in Scripture it says, and in Leviticus chapter 23, that he shall, the priest will wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. We already saw Christ's death as the lamb in the Passover. We saw his burial as the feast of the unleavened bread. But now we see his resurrection as the feast of first fruits. It's after Sabbath. So let's quickly go to John. John 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. First day of the week. Now, the Jews, when we, we have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's how we say our days of the week. All right, we learn the song, days of the week. All right. The Jews, this is how they say the days of the week. One or first, second, third, 
fourth, fifth, sixth, rest. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. And so Mary Magdalene came on the first day of the week. So that's in John. Luke chapter 23, it says, they took him down, they wrapped him in linen, laid him in the tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had been laid. The day was the preparation. It was Passover. And the Sabbath drew near. There was a Sabbath on Passover. There was a Sabbath on the day of unleavened bread. There was a Sabbath uh, that would have been our Saturday, what we consider Saturday. But the, the, and the, so the Sabbath drew near. And the women came to him, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how he was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So again, we see the first day of the week. Mark chapter 16 gives us probably the clearest sense of this. Now when the Sabbath was passed, when did they wave this? After the Sabbath. And so Mary Magdalene, mother of Uh, James and Salome brought spices. They came to anoint him very early in the morning on the first day of the week. They came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And uh, we just love this passage. I won't, for sake of time, Mark 16, 6 says he is risen. Somebody say he's risen. So the feast of first fruits is pointing us to Jesus and his resurrection, his ability to be cut down and brought back to life, to ultimately represent to us the harvest of souls that would come after, that he would reconcile humanity to God. And so this then points the first fruits to us, and there's application to us. Just as Christ rose from the dead, we too find the power of resurrection. Romans chapter 8 and 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul wrote to the Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. We should know him in the power of his resurrection. James said this in James 1.18, that we are the first fruits of, his, of, of him, of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation or his creatures. And so unleavened bread teaches us about the burial in Christ. We are buried with Christ, but the first fruits teach us about the resurrection we have in Christ Jesus. And just as the children of Israel started celebrating this, demonstrating they're in a new place, when you and I are baptized with the Spirit, it demonstrates that there's some new things that are happening in our life. We've entered into a new dimension. We've entered into a new place with Him through the power of resurrection. 
And so we're a new person. There's something new about it. Philippians or Ephesians 4.20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as truth in Christ, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The infilling of God's spirit is God's witness in us that we are a new creation. So Paul said in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Egypt's been passed away. Behold, all things become new. As I conclude tonight, I would like to read about the feast of first fruits from Deuteronomy. And it adds a little bit more detail in Deuteronomy. And if you have your Bible, I want you to follow along with me. Maybe something will stand out as I'm reading this to you. But I think that it helps us see Christ and personally connect to Christ in first fruits. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and you dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of, your, of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. It's a declaration. They are coming with this and they're making a declaration that I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to this country that the Lord has swore to his fathers. I'm in a new place. Every time. It was year after year. They would come the 20th and the 30th time and the 40th time. Guess what? I'm in a new place. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of, your, of the Lord your God, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us into this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what they would repeat back to the priest. It would say, we used to be in Egypt and our fathers were in Egypt, but we remember how God brought us out from under the hand of the oppressor. And so we realize that we're no longer bound by the oppressor, but where the spirit of the Lord is, what? There is liberty. And he brought us out, and now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, has given me. Who gave it to him? The Lord gave it to him. We don't receive the Spirit on our own accord, but the Spirit comes from God himself. The Spirit 
gave them, God gave them this, and they acknowledged that it came from God. And then he says, then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you realize where God has brought you from and you realize uh, what he's put in your life, there's something that should cause you to rejoice. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm thankful for the spirit of God in my life. I'm thankful for the partnership of resurrection in my life. Amen. Amen. As as we come to a close, we understand, and I'll I'll make this reference, but I know the the reference here is about giving, but I, I want us to recognize that when we give, when we give, and we give a first fruits offering here at our church, it's a free will offering that we give that honors God, and the offering goes to support our campus and the buildings and, and those kind of things. But my prayer is in just a few weeks when we take up a first fruits offering, it's not just pointing to an obligatory offering or something we just throw in. It's pointing to the fact that we serve a God who is the God of the harvest. He's a God of provision. And it says that you shall rejoice when you bring this first fruits offering. You shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord has given to you and your house. And if you choose to give in the first fruits offering this year, I pray that you'll rejoice when you drop that in the envelope, when you click on that button and say, give to first fruits. I pray there would be something in you that says, you know what, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the provision that you've given me. Because they rejoiced when they brought it. They recognized they were in a place that they didn't deserve. Thank you, God. I pray, I pray that we will find through the help of the Spirit the true dimension of peace and power that God has promised us through His Spirit. God is our resurrection power. I thank God for his spirit. I thank God for his work on the cross. Amen. We're going to take just a couple minutes here, and I have app time for you. Hopefully you're sitting by somebody you don't mind talking to for just a few minutes. But as we talked about first fruits, two questions you can consider. What stood out to you most about the Feast of First fruits. What stood out to you in that maybe it was just the particulars of how the Jews celebrated it, maybe it was the particulars of how it connected to Jesus, but what does the application mean? What does the application and meaning of the feast of the first fruits look like in our everyday spiritual lives? So look at those two questions, maybe find one or think of a, a question that might help you talk about first fruits. All right, you have about 90 seconds. Maybe, maybe 120.
All right. Well, hopefully you had a chance to dialogue that and reflect on what Scripture is talking to us about. And uh, thank God for His Word. It's a lively Word. And uh, I want you to stand with me tonight. We understand that Jesus became the first fruits for us so that we could enter into a new place, experience a new life, and live in a new day. And I believe that for you. I believe that for our congregation. I want to just pray that the Lord would continue to reveal not only himself to us, but his plan for our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, God, that we could come together tonight and just feast on your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate you throughout uh, our lives in different ways. We thank you for the picture that you give us that so clearly represents what you were doing when you died on the cross and you were buried and you rose again to give us new life and a new place, a new hope. God, we thank you, Lord, for what this day and what this uh, feast represents for us. I pray you would bless, Lord, us tonight. I pray that those who are hungry for the Spirit of God, that they would be able to experience it in full measure. They would experience the power and wonder of the Holy Spirit in their lives in a great way. Lord, they would experience that resurrection power that you have for all of us. We thank you, Lord. For this congregation, bring us back on Sunday under your hand in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.